ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. A Sunday drop-in, a catch-up with a friend that just continues for hours. How often does that happen for you these days? I reckon I've done it once in the last six months, maybe the last year. Casual socialising without a particular productive purpose is supposedly on the decline, but at the same time, more and more people are suffering loneliness. What's being called our social fitness may not be up to snuff. Do we need to reclaim the hangout to fix that? Sheila Liming is an Associate Professor in Communications and Creative Media at Champlain College in the US and the author of a book called Hanging Out, The Radical Power of Killing Time. Sheila, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And Associate Professor Michelle Lim is with us too. She's the CEO and Scientific Chair of Ending Loneliness Together. Michelle, great to have you back. Thanks for having me, Hilary. I'd love to hear from you too if you're listening to this conversation. What do you think's going on here? Why are we socialising less? And what might change that for you? What would make it possible for you to just drop down to a friend's house and say, hey, let's hang out? Sheila, how do you define hanging out? It's a bit of a nebulous idea, isn't it? It is. Uh, in my book called Hanging Out, I describe it as daring to do very little and daring to do it in the company of others. It seems like a simple concept on the surface, but it's actually one that I think a lot of people struggle to put into practice um, because our lives are so very, very scheduled. We find that the only way to achieve any kind of social activity is through a lot of planning. So it's hard to just kind of find the opportunity to do nothing with someone else. Well, yes. Uh, does it mean that it, it, the only definition that works is completely informal things, accidental random meetings or, or something like that? Or can it be a little bit scheduled? Oh, certainly. Yeah. And I think for many of us, it has to be scheduled or otherwise it's not going to happen. I know that's certainly the case in my life. Um, so I like to think of it as also um, low stakes uh, forms of getting together with other people. There can be, you know, some sort of light structure to it or a light agenda. But the really the point is that you're spending time with each other. OK, so it could be come around and help me cull my wardrobe, for example. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, your book is a manifesto of sorts. It, it uses the words a radical act, the radical power, uh, and it argues for the crucialness of this kind of spending time together. How did you come across, uh, upon the idea that, that that is in decline? Well, it was something I was thinking about, of course, a lot during the pandemic, but I will say that the idea had occurred to me even before the pandemic and lockdown procedures made hanging out harder than it already was. And I was noticing um, not just the decline of these activities in terms of how often they were happening, but also a sort of uh, declined appetite for them where um, it seemed to make people very uncomfortable if you were going to just say stop by somebody's house unannounced or even call them without telling them that you were going to telephone them ahead of time. And so I was interested in kind of thinking through that anxiety and why it was that we had become so nervous about unscheduled opportunities for social interaction. Michelle Lim, are you seeing a decline in real world socialising? Do we have research on that? Um, unfortunately, we don't have research on the actual formal or informal kind of socialising. But what we do know is that people are starting to feel incredibly more socially disconnected. So despite even having people around them, they might still feel like they don't have those meaningful social interactions. And do we know who's most affected by that? Old, young, partnered, single, child-free parents? 
Yeah, and, and this is kind of quite consistent data. I mean, uh, across the world, we do see that young people, particularly those 18 to 24-year-olds, uh, tend to feel or be more vulnerable to feeling lonely. And of course, it's ironic because it is the most connected generation of our time. So there's something that's missing for them um, that allows them to feel that meaningful social interaction. Sheila Liming, I was reading some research from the US that suggests that the steepest declines have been among young people, poor people and black Americans. Does that suggest that there's a there's a disadvantage element here? I think so. And I think that's some of what we are newly discovering in some of the data that's becoming available to us. Um, some recent information that came out of the American Time Use Survey was specifically targeting those groups and talking about young people in particular. Um, so as the other guests mentioned, you know, they're a very connected generation, these 18 to 24 year olds. But that is, it seems not translating um, to time that is being spent actually with each other, um, either face to face or in a sense that makes them feel uh, nourished and like they're engaging in meaningful meaningful connection. Well, does it matter if they're in person or if they're, you know, on a group chat, so in a social setting, but on a digital platform, Sheila? Um, in my book, I argue that it does matter to some degree. And of course, I'm very glad that we have the ability to connect digitally. And that was very important for people during the pandemic. And it continues to be important for people who need to find, um, you know, basically uh, kindred spirits out there in the universe. Um, but I do think that we develop different social habits when we become used to talking to people through our digital devices. And that some of those social habits don't carry over into our face-to-face -face or real-world interactions, I think, actually Actually, sometimes they can make those interactions harder. You tell a lovely story in your book, Hanging Out, about your friends uh, who have the farm and the difference between calling them and actually being at their table, which has been cut from a particular block of wood and comes from a particular place <laughs> and eating the produce that they, they make. Why do those particularities of place matter to you, Sheila? Uh, you make me miss them and even reminding me of those details. But yes, <laughs> I think those particularities of place do matter. And I also think that the um, the ways that we interact with each other when we're in person matter too, because of course, it's not just about the words that we say. Um, it's also about our body language. It's about the tone of voice that we have sometimes when we say certain things to each other. It's our ability to pick up on um, somebody else's living situation to kind of monitor, you know, their their life habits and what's going on with them and to see how, how life is treating them. Those are all things that can be hidden um, behind digital devices sometimes when we're just sort of chatting, you know, through text or something like that. Michelle Lim, what, what are your thoughts on what makes a social connection meaningful, whether it's in real life or online or one-on-one -on -one or a group? Does any of that matter? It does matter. And I think this is a subjective construct. So, you know, when we feel our, our relationships do not meet our current social needs. So it is quite subjective. So for younger people, particularly, if they crave a particular kind of meaningful social connection and they're not really getting it in the modalities that they're that they are using at the moment. It's about kind of thinking on your feet about how you can get those meaningful social interactions. Uh, we do know, for example, that young people, especially um, uh, 18 to 24 years, they're actually using social media a lot. But the one, the, the thing that actually is making them um, 
more lonely is this social media addiction. So it's just kind of being more dependent on it and actually not perhaps not getting enough face-to-face interaction that could meet their other kind of needs. I mean, you could argue that social media is distinct, you know, that mindless scrolling, that looking at other people's lives from the outside is distinct from the kinds of messaging that young people do so much, whether that's with their through their gaming apps or through their group chats or just simple SMS. Do we make those distinctions enough, Michelle? Yeah, um, there are also quite a bit of research looking at online versus offline interactions, but usually with social media interactions, it's very much focused on quantity as opposed to quality. So you're really kind of getting um, lots and lots of interactions, but very brief, short ones um, that perhaps don't go into those meaningful conversations, Um, you know, very much different to kind of offline type. Um, interactions. We're speaking with Associate Professor Michelle Lim, who's the CEO and Scientific Chair of a group called Ending Loneliness Together, a group of professionals very concerned about this epidemic of loneliness that's uh, taking hold in a lot of countries. And our guest today too is Sheila Liming, who's the author of a book called Hanging Out, The Radical Power of Killing Time. The new edition is out now. And I'm welcoming your text too on 0418 Here's a beautiful short poem from Mark by Les Murray, the wonderful Australian poet on paying an unannounced visit. He knocks at the door and listens to his heart approaching. Oh, getting little goosebumps. That's lovely. May says, it's not just hanging out with friends. It's also not talking on the phone, but texting now. My friend and I used to talk for hours on the phone when we only had landlines, but now my friend mostly texts me and they can be such long messages that Siri doesn't even read them out (laughs) to me. It drives me nuts. And Penelope says about time out or hanging out in our youth we went for day walks with a friend down by the river no mobile just sandwiches we were trained and trusted to be independent and capable even when young our family ate meals around the table together we talked discussed argued swapped thoughts and ideas we didn't watch any tv we read and read and read we were constant companions to each other and penelope says the art of companionship is now seemingly lost I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts on this is there companionship and hanging out in your life and if so how do you engineer that is it hard Is it easy? Is it natural and normal for you? Or is it something that has to be kind of wrestled from your life? You're listening to Life Matters on RN. Sheila Liming, some people blame uh, smartphones and some people blame the pandemic. What do you think is happening? Is it something bigger than that? I think it's a wide combination of events. And obviously, digital technology has had a role to play um, in that combination of events. And the pandemic didn't make anything easier or better for us. It made us more reliant on that digital technology. But I think this is a, a trend that has been developing for a while. And um, as our lives become you know, more and more scheduled, um, I think that uh, we become habituated to uh, adopting means of hanging out or of socializing that fit in our schedule. And that's something that actually digital technology has made easier for us. I'm thinking of the one person who wrote in and was talking about texts instead of phone calls. And, you know, texts are seen as less invasive. They're seen as more polite because a person can answer to that or they can find a time to read it when it fits their schedule. And I think that's one reason that we've become so reliant on those forms of communication, whereas um, it is now seen as somewhat rude um, to try to opt for other means like 
like, you know, dropping by somebody's house or, or calling them unexpectedly. Well, yes. And, and if you have small children, you come to understand how wonderful it is to be able to communicate with your friends in bite-sized packages when it, it suits you. But I'm interested in what you say, Sheila, about as our lives become more scheduled. Is there something that's happening in the background or even the foreground that's that's making it harder to find those downtimes, those free times to hang out with each other? Yes, um, there is. And in the U.S. in particular, um, you know, our research here shows that uh, Americans are working more and more than they used to, in part because they can and because we have technology that allows us to sort of extend our work days uh, in multiple directions. So, you know, with the help of cell phones, laptop computers, etc., we don't leave the office when we leave the office at five o'clock. We continue to sort of check in on work activities. We look at the group chat, we answer email, we plan for the next day. And this has resulted in um, the kind of mushrooming of the hours that we spend working. And it does make it so that socialization has to be kind of just fit into these little slots within that ever-extended workday. Well, and you talk very persuasively too in the book, Sheila, about the idea of it being important to hang out without a purpose. Why do people find that hard to say, let's just spend time together rather than let us have a task? Yes, it's something that I've been trying to mindfully exercise in my own life. And I think sometimes what um, freaks people out about it is that idea of the schedule, that they don't know how long something's going to last, or they don't know exactly the expectations that are um, tied to it. And that can be a little uncomfortable for them, especially if they're used to finding ways to slot that, you know, social interaction into parts of their daily schedule that work for them. Um, As compared to that highly structured um, approach to uh, hanging out with people, it can be really scary to be like, okay, let's just get together and we don't know what's going to happen. Let's improvise. People are sending in texts about the specific conditions affecting young people, which I'm finding very interesting. One says, my early 20s kids seem to be on their devices chatting with friends. They can sit in their room alone doing this and it seems like they're always waiting for replies. And if they don't get it, they feel abandoned and then lonely, which I guess they're interacting alone in their room, says the text. Also for young adults and teens, there are so many restrictions in social settings that don't accommodate this age group to interact face to face. Hanging out in parks, they're often moved on, cafes and bars, etc. The tight security at the doors. I miss the random hanging out times. And then there's another one from a young person. They say, I'm 27. I like to think that I'm still considered a young person. And it says, and I'm autistic as well. Both groups are socially isolated, but the social options for both groups have very little overlap. For example, parties are very common social options for young people, but can be overwhelming for autistic people. Michelle Lim, you're the the CEO and scientific chair of Ending Loneliness Together. I imagine that you've put a a great deal of thought into this. How can we make spaces that are more conducive to young people hanging out together? That's a really good question, because I think that there's a lot of this um, issue that we're dealing with here is it's not just one cause. And some of the reasons are things that kind of more macro systems, the way we actually live, the way we interact with each other, the, the, the third spaces that make us feel safe um, to actually gather and make those meaningful social connections. And also the lack of funding for those spaces uh, is incredibly, it's growing. So for example, you know, cutting uh, funding to libraries or perhaps um, not building parks where people can gather to, 
to just hang out. Um, those sorts of things all add up to our just social opportunity or a lack of social opportunity to come together to to grow, kind of grow that organic uh, relationships that we really need. Those third spaces are interesting, aren't they? You mentioned libraries and uh, we heard too about cafes, also community groups, clubs, things like that. Is that about the space, Michelle, or is it about people's time not being able to commit to having community groups or, or uh, I guess, step up to join one or make one? Yeah, look, I think it's probably a combination of both. Um, I, I think we mentioned as well, just being scheduled, but it's also busyness kind of gets in the way. And, you know, the, the famous social psychologist Hugh McKay talks a lot about busyness, that we are always trying to be busy. And if we're not busy, then we're not worth something. So, but busyness kind of gets in the way of of having that meaningful social connection, taking the time. The truth is that we do have to make an effort into our friendships, whether it's an organic or a formal, informal way. It's all about taking time. And, and we don't have to make big gestures, but it's about kind of, you know, almost you know, making those things happen, whether it's organically or not, that we need that time with other people because that's really innate to our, our human nature. Margaret's texted in, everyone has 24 hours in a day. It's about choices. I think she's on the same page with you, Michelle. Sheila Liming, you argue that this diminishment of socialising, particularly in person, has happened hand in hand with the diminishment of the public sphere and a rise in individualism. Is that why you call killing time a radical act? And if so, how, how might it play out? Yes, part of that subtitle of the book, The Radical Act of uh, Killing Time, uh, comes to my mind from the idea that if you want uh, to claim this time for yourself, you're going to have to take it away from something else. So sort of like the listener who you know just wrote in saying that it's all about choices. It is about choices, but that means saying no to some things. And um, certain tasks in our society are highly incentivized. Um, like the other uh, guest was saying, you know, we are supposed to appear busy, we're supposed to appear productive, and we're supposed to appear like we're contributing um, all the time. And on the other side of that is the perception of waste, that if we're not seen in that way, then we look like we're not doing anything productive or we're wasting our time. So that's when uh, killing time itself becomes somewhat radical, is saying no to the things that would mean productivity or appearing busy or appearing to be working for our value in the world and saying yes to things that by comparison might look like a waste of time to some people. Yeah, I baked a lemon tart last weekend that took all day. <laughs> you make the pastry, you rest the pastry, you roll the pastry, you rest the pastry. I'm glad amazing. to hear that. I, I actually made marmalade from scratch today and it took about seven hours. So, yes. <laughs> oh, my Lord. So much slicing of oranges. <laughs> We're speaking with Sheila Liming, the author of Hanging Out, The Radical Power of Killing Time, and Associate Professor Michelle Lim, the CEO and Scientific Chair of Ending Loneliness Together, and weaving in your text as well about this diminishment of our capacity or our interest in simply hanging out, just spending time with each other. Is it because we can't or we don't want to anymore? What are your thoughts? 0418 A lot of cafes close too early, says one very succinct text. And Jody says, a pot of tea is the best thing for random hanging out. My friend and I would sit around the table just talking until at least three pots of tea had been consumed. Wow, that's a three-pot conversation. That's pretty good. <laughs> Sheila, you point out that uh, you, you're not thinking about hanging out in a nostalgic way and, you know, the way we used to do these things, but that you've, you feel we should tailor it to our current lives. And you have five key rules for hanging out. Tell us about, I guess, your top two of those. They're take time, take risks – 
Take and create opportunities. Take care and take heart. Where should we start? Well, I think I'll start with taking risks since we have been talking about time a little bit and how important that is. Um, I mentioned taking risks because I think for many of us, the idea of unstructured social time is a little bit scary or uncomfortable. And I think taking risks is uh, acknowledging the idea that sometimes it is going to be like that. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. So I use the examples of, um, say, starting conversations with strangers. And when we find ourselves in a public place where we're sort of hanging out in the, in the comfort of other people and other strangers, you know, trying to find a way to acknowledge that that other person is there with us and maybe be, you know, find something that we can talk about together. There are many people who are just horrified by this concept <laughs> and do not want to be starting conversations with strangers and don't want strangers to be talking to them. But I use it just as a kind of um, example of low risk interaction that, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is maybe that person doesn't want to talk to you today. Um, but ultimately, it's, uh, it's a chance you can take. I love too the story you told just quickly before we finish about how you sat down with a friend and you had an argument, but you had time to resolve it. That was a lovely example of why this is important. Yeah, talking about three-pot conversations, right? Um, in the uh, conclusion of the book, I, I tell a story about um, being in a bar with a friend and getting in this fight with my friend. And fortunately, it was a person I've known for a very long time. So we were able to work through our fight, but it took us several hours. We were in that bar for a while, and there was a moment where I almost thought he was going to get up and leave, and we were just going to leave it like that, um, which is probably how it would have played out if we were doing it, say, on the internet or over text message. But because we were there together, uh, we ended up just sort of acknowledging what was happening and then agreeing to kind of sit there and work it out. And we did. And by the time we left again, we were back to being old friends. What a fantastic way to end this discussion about the radical power of just making time to be together. Sheila Liming, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a delight. It's a pleasure. The book's called Hanging Out, The Radical Power of Killing Time. There's a new edition out now. And Michelle Lim, great to speak with you as always. Thank you for having me, Hilary. Pleasure. Associate Professor Michelle Lim, the CEO and Scientific Chair of Ending Loneliness Together. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. 